0: Welcome to the first episode of Stars Stripes Stories. This podcast is all about cultural mediation. To give you guys a better understanding of how this podcast came to be, we're two German college students and both attend Arizona Christian University in the heart of Phoenix, Arizona. When we first came out here, we both experienced kind of a culture shock as we're thrown into a completely different environment than what we're used to.
1: In other words, this podcast is really about culture understanding and cultural awareness. By talking to a few individuals about their field of expertise, we're trying to get a better insight of American culture and how the American society works. Last but not least, we're trying to figure out why is this country so diverse yet so amazing. By talking
0: to people from all social, economic and ethnic backgrounds, we hope that listeners of this podcast will become more tolerant of different points of view in the American as well as in other cultures.
1: In addition, we hope that you guys going to get the most out of the podcast, expand your horizon, as well as we're just trying to document our time here in Arizona. Hope you guys enjoy the podcast. This is Michael. And this is Theo. Welcome to our first episode of the podcast.
0: Our guest today is Dr. Tracy Munsell. Dr. Munsell is a political science professor at Arizona Christian University in Phoenix, Arizona. She also holds three degrees from Arizona State University, including a doctor's degree, for which she went back after raising eight children that are all grown and successful today. She has been married to her husband for 33 years now, and her husband is none other than the former candidate for governor, Len Munsell. Her areas of expertise include the American political flawed, as well as she has a research background in ideologies of the 20th century. Dr. Munsell is fascinated by ideas and has made it her purpose in life to teach our generation about the dangers and benefits of ideologies.
1: In our first episode with Mrs. Munsell, we're going to talk about the biggest challenges of our generation and society. We're going to look at our political system and ask ourselves the question if we, the people, are still represented in today's political affairs. Last but not least, Mrs. Munsell is going to talk about her sufferings after she was sexually abused in college, and how she overcame that. And she also is going to give advice for young women which might be in a similar situation. We are very happy to have Mrs. Munsell as our first guest, and I hope you guys enjoy our podcast. Mrs. um... Maybe first question is: Did you watch the Super Bowl yesterday? I did. You, I did. You watch it? I did. You enjoy these kind of little things? Absolutely, it's part of being the, an American. The sports. Absolutely, yeah. um,
2: our eight kids all played sports. Yeah. Um, the boys all played football. Love football, and every year we have. Just a family Super Bowl party. Um, I love the ads. I love watching
1: the commercials. Oh yeah, they oh, yeah, were The <laughs> game itself not so exciting. Um <laughs> Halftime show
2: not so exciting, but the well, ads. And my uh, my son-in-law did snacks. It's the best yeah. best Super Bowl food we've ever had. So absolutely, right.
1: We we both said that the Super Bowl for us. Since we are not really into right, football, right. American football, since it's just not very big in Germany, yeah. like it's gaining momentum uh-huh. but we said we actually just go go to that we were invited by the a yeah. nice, nice party there. And we just go there for the food. Actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. For me, it's usually the commercials. <laughs> yeah. 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 And if yeah. you get a good game,
2: it's amazing because typically the Super Bowl game is not that great if you watch it. Kind of. I mean, last yeah. night was great. Yeah. So
1: you're happy that no one no one took any or anything. Yeah. <laughs> <no idea. laughs> yeah. Well,
2: and um, it's interesting. I was working out this morning. I work out three days a week, and mm-hmm. my trainer. Um, is, works at a local high school and trains the football players, the defensive players. So he was excited. He thought Mm -hmm. it was the best game he'd ever seen. Oh, Oh, Yeah, yeah, and all of my kids were, um, my boy, sons, when they played, uh, were um, on offense, quarterback, wide receiver, and lineman. I'm like, no, I love offense. If you don't have a high power offense, what's the point? So
0: anyway. Is your health and working on something you make a priority in your life? Do you follow some sort of routine?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Have been for years now, um, but um, in terms of just uh, managing life at kind of my stage, it's really important to prioritize that. So mm-hmm, I work out, life. do um, weights Absolutely. and high, you know basically uh, high intensity training mm-hmm. once a week, and then I do cardio on my own. So it's just part of, of who yeah. I am.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. So just before we started recording, we we're talking about ideas and how good ideas have good consequences, bad ideas have bad consequences. Mm-hmm. So in your eyes, what are some of the most alarming ideas in today's society? What do you see that could cause potential danger? What ideas do you see as being especially dangerous right now? Yeah, and,
2: and I would take even a step back and look at um, what element of politics is shifting most significantly and most quickly, and I would think, um, as we watch and I've watched politics for over 30 years now it's um, the lack of understanding of how important liberty is and how important freedom is and um, that that your generation and really a lot of people take that for granted mm-hmm. um, in terms of liberty once lost is almost impossible to regain and so the question is what does that look like? What does liberty Certainly. look like? Um, and how do you... Uh, uh, make sure that, that that's preserved. Um, and it's not just freedom to do whatever you want, but it's right. um, economic opportunity mm-hmm. and um, uh, really limiting and, and reigning in the size and scope of government so that your generation is free to flourish. So I look at it and go, liberty is so connected to human flourishing and the ability to, to live a good and, and flourishing life Um, As I see erosions um, to our understanding of liberty, whether it's through um, adoption of socialist principles Mm -hmm. or um, restrictions on free speech, things like that. I mean, liberty is so essential to human flourishing. Where where
1: does that lack of understanding of liberty come from? So you would say, would you say it's a generation problem, like a problem that our generation, Michael and my generation, are facing, or is that? A problem which just slowly developed over the time. So let's say, um, what you basically said is that today the people kind of don't want liberty anymore. Or they don't. They
2: don't understand the value
1: of it. They, so, so where does that come from? Why are we not following that yeah. um, principle that we all should, basically under obviously some certain rules, can do whatever we want as long as we don't harm any right. anyone. So why are we not? Why don't we want that anymore?
2: Like what's... You know, it's interesting because I just had a class. I teach a class on American exceptionalism and kind of what makes America unique or different from other nations. Mm-hmm. And we've been talking about that, the importance of liberty. And I asked, so your generation, what they thought, um, why you don't value liberty as much. And um, I would say the majority in class argued is because you haven't really um, had to fight for it. It's always been this assumed, it's, it's almost like breathing and you don't, you're not going to miss it until you can't breathe it anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that's one thing that's going on. The other thing is, um, it, when you look at the challenges in politics, whether it's economics or things going on around the world or, you know, unemployment, size, all of those problems Um, sometimes it's easier. The first kind of knee-jerk, reactive uh, response to this is to say government should do something. Mm -hmm. And um, to me, um, growing up in a generation where we were all about limiting the size and scope of government, um, that's like the last resort. Where your generation, and I think people in general, are much more likely to say the government should do something to solve this Mm -hmm. problem. Rather than looking back at the people and say, what can people do? What can communities do? What can we do in a private way? So, I think there are a lot of factors going on. It's much more complex than just losing sight of an idea. I think there are other factors at play um, that, that lead, mm-hmm. tend us to lead away from right. yeah, so prioritizing I definitely
0: liberty. Agree with that. Would you say that our current system is doing a great job at preserving this liberty?
2: our current system, our our structures are set up to preserve it um, in terms of, obviously, First Amendment and the Bill of Rights. and um, So the the system is there. In fact, the system is rooted on um, expansive protections of of human liberty. What you've seen over time is incursions and um, restrictions on that. Um, for example, um, taxation is a, is a great example. Um, the higher the taxes, the more government right. intervention. Right. And so that's, that's kind of a, a way to measure liberty. Right. Um, a, a second way to measure it is simply just regulations that, that are imposed. On the administrative state in the United States is mm-hmm. just huge.
0: It's, it's interesting that you mentioned it because actually, I just had a talk with one of my professors the other day where he mentioned a tax that I had never heard of before. He was talking about a property tax. Right. So basically, what he was saying is that even though he owned his house and he bought his house, like right. it's his, he still has to pay the government for living there and if Correct. he didn't pay that tax the government mm-hmm. could technically come and take his house away from him so I That'd wonder, be I wonder it was not. funny because he said because he kind of ran the analogy back and said so I'll pay in order to be allowed to live somewhere to be that's rent yeah right so do you think such taxes um interfere the flourishing of the individual, yeah. and especially, what taxes do you think are the most problematic for such? Yeah.
2: Well, it's interesting because, um, and I don't know what what your what your uh, employment history is, but once you get out and and you're starting to work and you realize how much the the federal government takes from you, um, in America,
1: it's it's
2: great. It Yeah, and, and so I look I at it go. Um, some people on April 15th will rejoice when they get their their tax return mm-hmm. I'm like well that's my money to begin with yeah. um so i take a very different view that if i purchase my property um uh, the government shouldn't be taxing it. That right. that, that, that that's my property. And so mm-hmm. the one of the questions that's going on in our our political culture, the American political culture, um, there's a bill going through Congress right now where the highest income bracket should be taxed at seventy
1: percent. Seventy percent, yeah. Just, and I they tried, tried to do that
2: during that. Um, Roosevelt's administration. You mm-hmm. kind of and Regularly. yeah. Regularly. And yeah. America has always agreed that there should be a, a certain reasonable amount of taxation to meet needs and, and to, to build public works and things like that, but certainly 70% would be a, an onerous um, invasion of property of those who are earning it that they, low. They tried
1: that same thing in France, I remember mm-hmm. that, or they had that for it. I'm not very certain about that, but the problem in France was basically that the people just left the country. Yes. The people yeah. with, the, with the money left the, left the country, and in the end there was no yeah. gain, and... Uh, in, in germany uh, like a the, the a left party just had kind of like the same thought it was about 70% right. of the taxation and and again the people in my opinion the, the very wealthy people they would just leave the country cuz right. cuz i think in germany is even worse than in america i think you pay um, if you're in the top if you're in that top range you pay 50% yeah yeah and that's basically working till the 19th of the month for free, right? <laughs> or right. like, all well, right. Basically, yeah. okay. I work and I don't get yeah. anything until yeah. the twentieth of July or yeah. February. Or yeah, and, and that's so. a,
2: that's a relatively um, new phenomenon in American politics in terms of um, really flipping on its head the view of the individual as self-governing and non-dependent, mm-hmm. um, and the whole idea of the American system is. Um, the government is there if if you absolutely can't make it through if you if if you need a safety net something like that. But it was never structured to have um, basically welfare or government assistance from birth till death. That's not how our system is right. set up, and so that it runs counter to who we are as, as Americans. But just to kind of um, uh, flip that over, I think your generation. And in America is much more comfortable with the size and scope of government because they haven't experienced Mm -hmm. what you have in Germany and some of the other nations. So
1: let's if we if we take that point of view where you say, all right, you are actually yeah, like you're promoting like absolute freedom, basically. Not absolute, but certainly
2: uh, a much higher level of economic liberty. Yes, very limited. Okay.
0: So then, where do you think this idea of the redistribution of wealth or taxing the one percent, let's say? Where do you think that comes from? Where does that idea originate? If it's like really counter-American, you could say. Yeah. Is is this being promoted by by someone with a specific agenda? Yeah, it's it's
2: definitely promoted in this country, um, at least initially, if you looked at kind of the history um, by the progressive movement, um, what we today call um, the more liberal Democrats. expansive role of of government. In fact, um, one of the questions you asked um, kind of on our our, our sheet was what was one of the challenges that my generation faced and have we done it, have we addressed it well? And... um, so I look at that, and, and it was a big debate when I was your age, um, what's the proper role of the size and scope of government? And in the Reagan administration, there were efforts to, to rein the yeah. size and scope of government back in. Less statism, mm-hmm. um, limiting the size of the Leviathan, that huge government structure, and it was possible for a while, um, and then um, then again, those ideas have resurfaced. So you see that... Um, and maybe it's just the natural tendency of government to consolidate power and, and, and want to spend more and control more. That's the nature of government
1: generally. So the people you're talking about who actually want more taxes, who want more intervention, who want to be more protective for the people, let's say, let's put it that way. What is their, what is their benefit from all that, that they would say, all right, we put a 70% tax on this we make the government put more because at at some point i think they have good arguments like in some ways like with with a higher taxation there comes a better infrastructure there comes a sure. better healthcare there comes all these stuff that because you pay taxes you it's not that you just give money you get something back right. you know like i i always see as taxes as like a social obligation kind of because that's how we help each other so I, I don't really see that there's... I obviously see that some taxes are too high or government shouldn't be intervening all the time, but I don't feel that they actually have a bad intention doing that. You know?
2: Yeah, and, and um, generally speaking, I attribute um, good motivations um, yeah, to most people. Yeah, what's the motivation? Um, that I, the motivation is to, to help people who don't have. Mm-hmm. Um, so people in poverty, things like that. Um, that's never been a traditional role of government, by the way. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a modern construction of understanding how to alleviate poverty. It's always been the role of the family and the church. And that's, it, when the, uh, 1900 and on, um, you saw a, a growth in welfare programs, large programs, mm-hmm. European, um, and uh, more slowly we adopted them here. And so that's not really how government has always been viewed. Um, the other thing, that, especially in the American system, is um uh, those who produce those who work hard they don't always get rich but many times you, as you work hard and you um, you know you're successful that's where you um, become prosperous and the question becomes um, if if you're I'm going to use you as an example if you if you start a business in America um, you become millionaires um, why should you be taxed to help someone who isn't um, taking advantage and working as hard as they can in this system. That's just one issue. And the other issue is free, the issue of free riders, um, the idea that um, if you're a member of society, shouldn't everyone pay something? Um, yeah. And, and yeah. that's not Definitely. what happens in America. In fact, um, uh, about 50% of Americans pay no taxes at all, and yet okay. reap the benefits. So I look at that and go, okay. uh, the question to me is not whether or not there's an obligation to have a, some type of tax um, as being a member of society the question is how much and, I mean, and how do you draw that line I mean line?
1: obviously I see that for me it sounds like kind of like yeah you're describing you're using like business terms and you're really talking like kind of business language but shouldn't government so let's take my example I earn I, I start a very successful business I earn 20 million mm-hmm. a year let's say mm-hmm. first question that comes to mind why do I need 20 million 20 million obviously it's my right to have that but I sometimes I feel like we're at, we're at the stage where people just earn so much sure. that they can't even spend and then there's people who don't who don't earn anything and and for me it's like it's not that these people you can't really generalize that the poor people they're not hard working or that they're no. like no obviously uh, there's
0: just I don't think that's what she meant necessarily what she meant is that it's not the government's job to mm. provide for the poor people it, she says that if you make 20 million a year and you want to spend 5 million of those to poor people that's mm. absolutely up to you and you should that's the that's the the role of of charity and being charitable yeah
2: and that, and that was, a, but but here but the here, government
1: should also I feel like the government should be taking care of these people because the government basically like what's Represents kind of the the people represents the society. So what's you know what's yeah. what's wrong with that role of helping helping others? You know, like I I don't I don't see yeah. why government shouldn't be yeah uh, and it, and made it's, for that. Yeah, and it's
2: interesting because um, the American system um, takes a little bit different, view, and maybe not a different view, but it has a different historical path in terms of how the individual is viewed. Um, in terms of self-governing, which means you meet the needs of yourself and those closest around you, that's your obligation um, as a, a functioning member of society. It's not somebody else's um, uh, obligation to... To make sure your kids have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches when they go off to school. Yeah. I mean that you're you're having kids, you're making choices. This is your life. You're you're a functioning human being who's volitional, who has capacity to get a job and support mm-hmm. his or her family. Um, and as these programs have developed and grown, what you see is a, a an accompanying idea of dependency, where somebody should be taking care of you, um, which is really. I, I think if I look at you and go, do you think anybody should be taking care of you and your needs? You're capable. You're you're functioning. You're going to get a job. Mm-hmm. You may not earn, you know, thirty million, but your goal is to um, have a good life where you're. Um, you know, you're keeping a roof over your head, and that used to be the American dream. Not that somebody would provide it for you, but that you had the opportunities to provide. Yeah, it for I was going to ask
1: That's basically the foundation of the American dream. Yeah. So you would say that the American dream is still alive? Like it's still a thing?
2: I w- I would say that it's. Because um, uh, uh, I discussions would, with people
1: and they yeah. say the American dream is dead. Yeah, golly, I hope it's not yeah. your generation. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I think the the definition of the ge- American dream uh, is shifting. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think that it's 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 being challenged. What does it mean? Um, I just did a uh, and and Michael, you were in that classroom. The idea of what. Uh, what do human beings need to be happy, to to really have a fulfilling, flourishing life? And it's not when people give you things, but through earned success, where you're using the talents and the skills and the time and the, the effort that you have... To do something um, that you take pride in, and and it's not about the money. Sometimes we get lost in the idea that you're only happy if you have a certain level of money. Um, I would argue that there are a lot of people um, in this country and around the world who have thirty million dollars. They're they're rich mm. out of their minds, yeah. and they're not happy. Exactly. <laughs> so you gotta look. It. Yeah, you look at it and go, <laughs> OK, are we talking about um, putting a price tag on, on human happiness? No, you shouldn't. Are we talking about, so I think that's, um, and and frankly, I look at $30 million, is that too much? Is $10 million too much? Is my salary too much? Um, who, who decides these things? I don't know. No, and, I and, and if, go ahead, sorry. Oh yeah, no.
0: Uh, I think you just explained that really nicely how the American approach is a little bit more individualistic in its Very nature, much so, yeah. And, and a lot more based on personal freedom. It's very different.
1: Yeah. It's okay. China, yeah,
0: there's a lot of, especially more Eastern countries, I would say, that have different cultures, more of honor cultures, that mm-hmm. care about well, like the collective well-being, right. and that's okay, I believe. So, one thing that I thought was interesting, we just talked about it, that the government is supposed to represent the people, mm-hmm. and so, politically, do you think that's still the case in America today? Do you think the government still represents the people? Yeah. <laughs> it's a big it's question. A, that's your right. your, your, your big generation question, so. doesn't
2: think so, but it's a, it's a problem that's plagued representative government for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, for example, I taught a class on, and have a background in congressional politics, for example. And so you, you go out and you do a survey of Americans, the hate Congress, right? Um, lowest, the lowest approval rating of any branch of government is the Congress, even lower than used car salesmen, even lower than lawyers, I mean, Everybody yeah. hates Congress, and yet you ask them about their individual congressman, and they just, love that. So, so I think, I think we. It depends. You know, am I represented? Um, sure, my congressman represents me. But right. yeah.
0: For for listeners that don't really understand that concept, they might okay. be unfamiliar with it. Could you just explain a little bit about the Congress and how it works and how the Congress represents sure. your interests? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. and we're. Um, We think we're a democracy, but we're not. We're a representative, um, Republican form of government, small r, and it's meant to... I have a vote, that's my expression, we the people, that's my democratic expression Mm -hmm. of my political will, but I uh, give uh, delegate some of my political will, my representation to my representatives, because Mm -hmm. it's impossible to to have a democracy where everybody has an equal vote. So you have some type of representative who goes and represents your interests. Mm -hmm. Um, In the Congress, if they're not doing what you want, well, every two years every four years you get to vote them out of office or select somebody new and so that's my expression of my political will if I don't like my congressman if I don't like my senator um, I can vote them out and and that recurs and the other thing too is the thing that's happened is um, our system was never meant for the average citizen to look to federal government the national level to take care of problems Um, we were locally Driven, um, you know the the town square and city government and municipal government and um, state government, and so that's been a significant shift that we think Washington can solve our problems. Where we sh- really should be mm-hmm. looking at um the people that we go to the grocery store with who happen to hold elective office so and community you would say yeah. yeah yeah so we've really lost. Do you that. think that's a
0: negative shift? Do you think Yes.
2: Uh, yeah. I'm putting too much. So you think there's is. too much
0: power for a centralized government now?
2: Absolutely.
1: Is that yeah. isn't that because of global? like I would I would argue that's because probably of globalization. Um I would think it's, it's something like that. Because originally I mean back in the days when the constitution was found. There was right. no no such thing, and there's a, an internet or a laptop or a phone. Right. And today, like access to information is just so much easier. Yes. So, but shouldn't that mean like the consequence of that? We have more information, which can be dangerous. But that's I think that's another oh, other, <laughs> other 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 um, yeah. topic yeah. here. So back in the days when the when the constitution originally was made, we yeah. had those representatives, um, because they basically they knew more than the or like than the basic people knew about politics. Well, Today is like it would be different. Like I could I could look up stuff and I can inform myself about stuff and I could um, you know I can study all that stuff and I and and I still have to go to a representative that which you know like which mirrors my decision. So I'm not really the the person that's right. taking part in politics even though I have a lot of information there so don't you think that's just like a very practical shift um since we we didn't have the chance to inform ourselves that's why there were like people that represent us and now we have the chance to inform ourselves why do we need those people well
2: uh two things come immediately to mind um in in the first um kind of the original design of the Constitution, uh, when they were debating it, the Federalists and the Anti-Federalists, the Anti-Federalists wanted annual elections um, so that even though they were sending representatives to this other body, um, they had um, accountability measures uh, built in so that they could, they would hold them accountable. So the further away they become, the less accountable they become. And so the original set of congressmen were not seen as um, a professional political class at all. Um, they weren't seen as the, the elites or the experts, the way you put it. That came in in the 1920s. Okay. Um, they were seen as... Um, Farmers and lawyers and people in a community who went off and represented the people that they knew, um, and it wasn't a full time job. It, it was designed for them to come back and hear from their constituents and go back. And, and so, there and, and local government. Um, and you're definitely that's a shift away from from liberty. Local government, the federal government can't possibly understand the needs of a resident in Phoenix and those local needs. And so, so local government is meant to be the the primary um, venue of government and, and ordering of our our lives and the federal government in the United States has set up had very limited power. Very limited power. In fact the income tax wasn't even put into place in the 1920s. It was meant to protect the country um, uh govern commerce between uh, states and nations and do foreign policy. There's no mandate to do public education or health care or any of those things. So that's been a, a shift really after the Civil War where those big programs were shifted from the local state government to the federal level. And, and so that's a significant change. So. Yeah,
0: it's really interesting because I think that's a new information for a lot of people that, that I don't think a lot of people know that those were not full time jobs back in the day. That no. the, 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 those were members no, of your that. Yeah, that's, yeah that's, that's new to me. Yeah, like, it wasn't. Like, a, it was a citizen left, members of so 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 your community. Yeah. It could be your neighbor. Yeah. yeah. So how has that role changed today? Then, because today I believe all those congressmen, they, that's, that's really impossible. Yeah. Like that can be I mean, impossible. How, yeah, so how like, can they still relate yeah. to the needs and wants of the community if they they's so far away from it? Yeah. Well,
2: now you're making my point exactly. And I think it's a chicken and egg thing. Um, the more power you give them, the more incentive there is to continue to get reelected and mm. to, to hold that power. So the more power you transfer from the local level to the federal level, the more you perpetuate this idea of professional. And, and so there have been all kinds of um, suggestions over time. During the Reagan administration, there were all kinds of moves to return power back to the states of kind of the laboratory of, of mm. democracy, more mm. states' rights. Um, But in all practical um, uh, reality, states don't really have a lot of rights, even though it's in the the Bill of Rights, it's in the Constitution. um, States have so much less authority than what the federal government has. And it's a long process of changing, for example, um, senators used to be not democratically elected, not direct elections, Mm -hmm. so there was a a representation of the states. Um, and uh, as soon as you remove that, then then there's less impetus to bring the power back to the states. I
1: mean, how would you respond? You said that people today, they don't feel represented by the politi- mm-hmm. politicians anymore. And I would say that's kind of obvious since we're the, the last five presidential elections, yeah. two of them, the, the, the popular vote, vote didn't count, oh, okay. so, which is actually 40% of those last five elections. So obviously, if I would say, all right, let's say, uh, let's let's put Clinton at the... She won by almost like 3 million people, 2.5, something like that, right. or something like that. And if I would see that as a normal citizen, 40% out of the last five, um, I would say, well, I'm not represented. Yeah. Well, well, that's not what I want and, and we're, we're not talking about like 20,000 we're talking about yeah. 2.5 million so that would bring us actually to, to those these electoral colleague systems um, how I mean obviously I would say I'm not representative well, but I but, you know?
2: but there are a lot of things going on here, um, Theo. Mostly, it's lack of understanding of what the electoral college was designed to do. Mm-hmm. It was designed to, um, again, affirm local authority and state authority. So it's set up so you elect um, our president not by direct democracy. Um, if you're in Montana or Arizona or Kansas. Um, the last thing you want is a direct democratic election of politicians of your president because they will just um, campaign on the East Coast and the West Coast the popular areas and you will never be represented and so the electoral college is meant to make sure that every state Um, uh, is represented... It's meant to protect the smaller
1: states, right?
2: Well, it's meant to protect, um, to guard against. We're not a direct democracy. Direct democracy is seen as um, possibly an incursion toward um, mob rule. And again, um, the states are set up as one more barrier to consolidation of power, um, either in... um, uh, in one of the states or the other. Um, so, so there are a lot of reasons behind it, but the, the fundamental reason behind the electoral college and the separation of powers and states' rights was our founders knew that consolidation of power in any one place leads to corruption and, uh, and undermining of virtue and eventually tyranny. So the whole idea was to break up power, in, including the power of um, mob rule or or direct democracy—that mm-hmm. was seen as another place where power could be consolidated and uh, um, express the whims and emotions and and kind of move too fast. Mm-hmm. And so um, there are always um, uh, calls to abolish or change the electoral college. Mm-hmm. And I say, well, be careful what you do mm-hmm. um, because it's okay. it's not perfect. But what what do you substitute with? Direct democracy, I think, um, would 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 not solve the problem either. So
0: clearly it is important to protect the smaller states as well and, and not just completely neglect them. Well, Montana is a big state, but small state population Right, is, oh yeah, yeah, That's what we're talking about. So you don't just want states with huge populations like California or New York or right. Texas right. to just completely decide the whole boat. Right. But in return, is it possible that the smaller states are overrepresented? Do you think so? Because I think an interesting, it's kind of a stat right here, is that you technically only need 22% of the population's votes in order to win the election. Yeah, so if you would, that's, that's a number we figured out when we were doing research.
1: So if you would well, get yeah, all the states, yeah. and, and it's obviously yeah. not going to happen, but yeah. it kind of illustrates how the system could be unfair that you actually need 20% if you get the right states and everything. Yeah, and, all and, that and stuff, I haven't seen that. Um, which would represent, yeah. you would win. The electoral colleague mm-hmm. with only twenty two percent of the population, crazy. And for that's a that's crazy. Yeah, and I haven't wow. seen that figure, so yeah. I would,
2: it, it, but never has that happened. That twenty two percent of the election. So, I, so I'm mean, gonna have to look at that hypothetical. Yeah. I, I'm but, just saying, but, that but the system. Yeah.
1: is isn't that a big problem? In the system. I, I'm not saying this will ever happen. Yeah, but I'm saying no, that it's technically it's possible. Yeah. Yeah. You could. yeah, just for the fact yeah. that it's technically possible. Yeah, but it's it's to, it,
2: the the representation in the states. It mirrors and is parallel to the representation in um, Congress, Senate, and House of Representatives. So, in terms of That's where those numbers come from. So, for example, in Arizona, when you add a new congressman, you add an electoral college vote. And so some people will say, well, then it prioritizes the early states or prioritizes certain, and is there a perfect way to do it? Even our founders said there's no perfect way to do it, but this is preferable to a uh, democratically Mm -hmm. direct democracy. And so um, are there problems with it? Sure. Is it perfect? It's a pretty good system in terms of um, balancing interests around the country, and as an American, we don't think—at um, least we haven't—we haven't thought that my vote is directly represented. You know, what I say is is directly represented at the federal mm-hmm. level. It's meant to be a representative form of government, so. I, but I know there's a big push in your generation to to abolish or change the electoral college and say, to what? I I do, do you, understand, yeah, to
1: what? Yeah, I do understand that there's a that smaller states feel underrepresented but if you actually look how how the the whole election campaign is designed today is that the two candidates they just basically spend all their time and money in 14 states which are the battleground states? Yeah. Which are the the purple states, the like swing right. states? And that's like, I mean, that that yeah, you should you should be arguing against yeah. that too, because <laughs> in the end you would say you would say, all right, we want the we want the small states to be more involved in that yeah. whole thing. But in the end, the system is is is, yeah. is created that. The two candidates yeah. just fight for the yeah. swing state.
2: Yeah, and essentially, because you're looking at a snapshot of what the electoral college map looks like today. Mm-hmm. But if you look back um, so. pre-Reagan, California was a blue state. Mm-hmm. Um, he ran for governor. California became a red state, and the country went along that direction. So it it it, um, it it's not set in stone that Ohio will always be, you know, the swing state. It is now. But um, it, it's a limited view of, of kind of the electoral process over time to say that it's always these states. It isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly if you're, if you're in Delaware, um, if you don't have um, electoral college vote, if it's just direct democracy, I would think that would be more discouraging mm-hmm. to people. Like, well, as long as California and New York and the big population centers Vote, um, you know, why should I even bother? And certainly, in less populous states, Montana is a great example. Um, you know, the the reason why you have blue states, red states, is primarily because you have to see this urban-rural split, and so the rural states. Because of the electoral college, it still have some type of representation and say. Otherwise, it's dominated by big urban areas, which has never been our our tradition. Mm-hmm. It's been it shouldn't be the case. Represent yeah. the whole nation, yeah. but right. that's a larger debate. You should take another class, and we'll debate the electoral college. Right.
0: So I think just the idea that we were trying to figure out here was that, yeah. that you you pay so much attention to not having those big population states being overrepresented, yeah. Yeah. That in return it backfires and you have those smaller states being overrepresented. Actually, yeah. those those who you don't want to be left behind. So instead of being left behind, they actually get more importance than they. It's by it population. Right. Yeah, it's the same way.
2: You can yeah. then you'd make the same argument. While well, as Congress, improperly constituted as as well. But I look at it and go. Um, uh, Maybe California and New York, you know, candidates don't even go there because it's a foregone conclusion that they're both mm-hmm. Democratic. Yeah, yeah. And, Same and Texas. so, Same in Texas. you know, um, I mean, yeah. Put it the other way yeah. But the, yeah. the whole system, and you, you kind of rewind the tape, and it's meant to um, recognize the state as an entity um, that has interests and needs to be um, represented. And um, when you lose that sense of um, the, the, the independent. Element and uh, representative nature of the states, um, then that's then that's a different line of argumentation in terms of how our system should be changed.
1: I mean, yeah. If you, the another thing is, I I really like the point that we're talking about how much is our uh, generation actually represented in politics because I I I personally think that's one of our biggest issues that we're having because a lot of people just, I mean, you can see there's. The people stop going to vote actually yes. like the, the rates are kind of low. like I feel like especially our generation is not as interested in politics anymore because it's dry it's difficult to understand. It's a lot of emotions not a lot of people want that, but I also can understand people who say, "All right, we have in those electoral colleague systems. There's a this winner take all system, and you you look at the last election, and you you go, and there were four million people that voted for Hillary in Texas, and almost three million people that voted for Trump in New York. That makes seven million people that are not, and and you know Texas the Republicans, Republican, yeah. um, Republican yeah. colleagues. So that's seven million people. They they went to vote, and they took their vote and throw it in the trash can, and obviously. Um, I know that sounds a little bit harsh, but then, I mean, I'd would, I'd would be shocked as well. Like I would be saying, why do I even go and vote? Yeah. I, I have to live in Texas because of business, because of an urban city, because of family. I don't know. I'm a let's say I'm a demac- uh, Democrat or I have to live in California because of that that that. I'm a Republican, but why should I even go to to vote yeah. when it's already decided? Like, yeah. what's the problem? So wouldn't it be a little bit better? And I know that's again kind of to that. Direct democracy thing, but shouldn't be like let's say that's four million people in Texas that are underrepresented. So what if we just say, all right, shouldn't those people just have like a voice, or shouldn't these people well, they contribute they, anything to that? Because
2: yes. well, a couple of things you're you're seeing, you're assuming is that the president is your only person who represents you, which is not the case. Mm-hmm. Um, they're represented by their senators, by their individual congressmen. Um, uh, state government, so so the idea that um, you don't feel like your one vote changes how the presidency turns out um, doesn't, effect, doesn't change the fact that you're represented in a, all different kinds of levels of government. Um, and again, that, that uh, inordinate focus on what the national government does. Um, as to your generation, um, uh, I don't think I've missed a vote since I was 18. Um, I can't remember mm-hmm. a vote that I've missed. And um, the system hasn't changed, um, and so you look at it and go, okay, is there something else going on? Um, What's does your it, personal you motive?
1: Let's say you would teach in California, and you are like in a I don't know whatever state in Texas, and you let's say you're a democratic, you're a. Dem- Um, Democrat in Texas and you know the election they're gonna lose that electoral college. what's your person let's say you teach in Texas you're a democrat whatever let's make up that scenario what's your motivation to go to to the poll and vote oh
2: um duty Duty. Yeah, sure. I'm an American citizen and mm-hmm. it's it's my right and it's my privilege mm-hmm. yeah, to I go vote. Fair. So I vote every yeah. single time. But here, let me flip it over for a second. We view politics as this static game. So California will always be red, um, there are blue states, there are purple states. Um, I view politics as um, uh, really a, a kind of a, a context for persuasion. You asked me what I would do if I were in Texas and I were a Democratic um, voter and it felt like I was not represented. um, I would run for office. I would talk to my neighbors. I would encourage other people to vote. I would start a blog. I would tweet. I would start a podcast. I would use every means possible to persuade persuade people of the beauty and, and how my ideas are better. We view politics as kind of this... Uh, you know, this, this winner-take-all, but it's really about persuasion. Mm-hmm. Nobody thought that um, Ronald Reagan would ever get elected, and but it was a matter of persuading people that your ideas are better. So if, if I lived in Texas and thought their ideas were bad, that's what I would do. I'd go about the business of persuasion. That's how political movements start.
0: And okay, so we talk about a lot of like red states, blue states, yeah. and in general. So the whole Republican versus Democrats uh-huh. thing. And I think, especially today, recently, it's become a lot more popular to, like, sort of identify yourself, to be yeah. on one side of one team. Right. Oh and to, to completely yeah. subscribe yourself to that agenda of sad team. Yep. So, and, and I think this is also a reason why politics today are so emotionally charged. Like, these teams go so, like, each team tries to polarize their side so right. much so that... When you run, like for example, you identify as a Republican, right? You would say you're a Republican? Yes. So, a lot of times, when you run into a Democrat and you just want to have a discussion, a reasonable, logical discussion, they are not going to listen to you to any of your points, even though they technically might agree on some points. There might be some overlap in your opinions and theirs. But because they subscribe themselves to the agenda of the left, where you subscribe to the agenda of the right... There's just no discussion whatsoever yeah. because people just they just label you as one thing and reject you completely right. and your ideas in that case. Yeah. Where do you see some dangers with that? Oh
2: goodness! Um, so you're talking about the 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 the, um, the increase in polarization Definitely. in the American political system. It's almost tribal. Yeah. Well, it is very tribal. In fact, you'll see a lot of commentators talking about the tribal nature of government. And Definitely. There are
0: commentators is just one thing yes. really that we've noticed is that back in the day, you would watch the news and you would just get the news rip right. different people would present them to you at different times. That was really the only difference. But nowadays, you have CNN completely represent the left, right. and Fox is completely represent the right, and you have come two completely different narratives of the news no, and what's going it's, on. It's almost, impo- it's not about the actual idea anymore.
1: It's about what it's about your ideology. See, that's that's why I think is the problem. Like like Michael said, is like I'm not gonna listen to you because you're a uh, whatever. You're yeah. uh, you're blue or red. Yeah. And I'm, I'm yeah, not gonna listen to you. It doesn't matter. I think I'd be very interested, um, especially talking about when you Thanks, were. David. Thank you, Jay. R- when you shout about like, yeah, <laughs> 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 when you in like the the mid twenties, yeah, how was that? Was that different? Because I feel now, um, yes. and that, I feel like uh, politics, especially in America, and maybe we can um, talk a little bit about the difference in Germany as well, um, is very very emotional, and that leads to this. all right, I'm not going to mm-hmm. listen to you because you like yeah. this party. How was how was that in your generation? So how was that when you were? 21, 22. Was that more about ideas and not about what party? you?
2: It seemed like more about ideas to me because that's what I was about. Um, uh, Certainly all the studies show in political science um, that America has become more polarized and once the polarization occurred then we enter these echo chambers that just continue to drive that wedge. Number of things are going on. Um, first of all, what's going on is social media, which is kind of this. Twitter. Yeah, oversimplification <laughs> of politics says you go this way or that way. Um, the echo chamber, people follow what is consonant or um, agrees with them. So it gets reinforced that way. Mm-hmm. So the irony of social media and having more access to information is we seek out what we already agree with. Um, and that's a problem. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. And, and so it just confirms what we already believe mm-hmm. to be true. Um, a couple of things that are going on. Um, and just as we've been chatting, like, okay, here's another factor. It's, it's complicated, it's technology, it's, um, if you look at uninformed voters in the United States, um, the, the actual political knowledge of the average American voter um, is very low, low information voters. I can give you stats on that if, if you want them. But the, then you go, okay, so how do you make a idea about, or how do you make an argument about ideas? And the value of maybe lowering income taxes, or 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 deregulate. How do you make that argument where there's not a lot of information? But um, boy, emotion always works at motivating people to get to the whole Fear, um, mm-hmm. those types of things. So 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 that's going on. Uh, our founders envisioned an edu- a well educated citizenry, and and. Um, the,
1: so uh, you definitely say that the voter has to change and not the politics. I think, I, 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 I think both. I think both. I think both? Yeah. And Sorry. I think politicians have to be about the business
2: of uh, helping to educate their constituents. Okay. So you would say, sure.
1: like, we need more voters that look up stuff instead of... And less politicians <laughs> that Twitter. Yeah. That that just... Well, I don't know if you go that it. far. It's a different form of... Okay. You're
2: not going to put that genie back in the bottle. But I think... there's like
1: two... That's that's a paradox like on the one hand we have we have people that are lacking information they don't they don't want it anymore kind of mm-hmm. and then we have a president that uses Twitter what is it 280 words uh, to spread characters. his agenda or like our characters, characters. Like, 90 like words yeah. Yeah. How, so so on the one hand people that don't care anymore but also on the other politicians that don't they don't mm-hmm. want to go into that yeah, you know yeah. what I'm saying. Like yeah. that's that's a thing. So what what needs to change? Yeah, do we need more people that that inform themselves, or do we need less 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 politicians that? I think it's
0: because they don't need to. So politicians don't go in that because they don't need to because they just need these few polarizing ideas exactly. where exactly. one side or the other completely agrees yeah. on. So my question here, kind of, is like, you as an expert in this field of politics, how would you approach this situation? Because I think we can all agree on that this split. So this kind of splits the nation. Yeah, unhealthy. not, From, yeah, yeah, it's it's not healthy for the body politic. Yes. Yeah. yeah. So how do you approach that? And just instead of going against each other so much, how do you work for your common goals? Do we need yeah. a third party? Do we need a fourth party? Do we need a? Yeah, more interesting. Because
2: um, we've already had this discussion, but um, I would to answer your question: um, we need a more intelligent um, approach to political discussion. Um, Both the politicians, um, uh, your generation, well, um, and you're not going to put the Twitter politician back in the box. Um, Mm -hmm. It it was uh, President Trump when he ran for election um, in uh, 2016 who set that. That's our new normal, whether we like it or not. Um, You see um, uh, Alexandria um, uh, Cortez AOC, um, she's using it too. So that's the new reality, whether you like it or not. So the question becomes, um, how can voters demand better information? Um, That's why I do what I do, in terms of teaching you guys. Mm. Um, uh, Theo, when you were um, teaching your generation, not you guys. Um, But the idea that training up a new generation to ask questions to engage um, to find middle ground to engage on um, mm-hmm. you know your 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 anecdote that you're sharing before we got started is a great example if, if somebody has this very polarized opinion then you kind of you probe it a little bit and where you know what, what do you mean by this yeah, or, yeah, you, you start having these debates um, uh, kind of a maxim of politics is it's, it's hard to hate uh, face-to-face. So uh, in mm-hmm. Twitter and social media, we can hide mm-hmm. behind mm-hmm. This, mm-hmm. this identity. And again, it, it, it's all kind of snowballing because if you take politics out of the local realm... Where if I'm interacting with my congressman, I may see him at the local grocery store, so I'm not going to be calling him a liar, or, or you know, some of, the, or all the things you see on Twitter. I'm not going to be doing that because I know I'm, you know, I'm going to be interacting with mm-hmm. him. So it's kind of like this this avalanche of um, being removed from politics, thinking our vote doesn't count, distrusting politics generally. Um, this. Uh, rising polarization, and then okay, none of us likes where we are. Really? Your generation doesn't. My generation doesn't. So, um, your generation can see as a great opportunity to step back in and see politics as um, not a blood sport. But as, yeah, uh, we're in this together. This is our system. What do we make of this? What What are? And good- once
0: again, I think it's, it's how we do things. It's yeah so for example we were just talking about twitter and i don't think twitter is just inherently bad no like it's, it's really how you use it and right now we have a problem in how we use it and just calling people out and, yeah. and even going as far as insulting them and being really profane and, and definitely you mentioned it's easier to hate online that's definitely true but yeah. but then again you never had that sort of of um of how many people you could reach that easily right, as right. today, like you could never reach as many oh, people. Oh, the the you well, use you use think about use. Yeah. yeah, oh, absolutely. absolutely, absolutely. And I think it could, especially with young people, with the youth, it could be used for that because they spend so much time on social media, and most people aren't going to go and read a newspaper or go read articles on politics online, but rather have it at hand on their devices. Yeah. and I understand so I think, that. I putting don't political don't content don't. on social media. I don't think yeah. that's bad. It's just how you do it. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and is there a better way to do it? I mean, um, the questions that you're asking are are great. Are the politicians going to do it? They're um, uh, self-interested seekers of re-election. So if they're going to get re-elected using media the way they're doing it, they're going to keep doing that. So the voters have to demand better. I do think, um, and one of the reasons I love teaching your generation is, I hear what you're saying um, and say, okay, how do I train, how do I help you to have the skills to understand the system, to engage in a way that in your generation is going to be beneficial. And part of that is moving back to um, don't put all your focus on the national level, run for state government, run for local uh-huh. government, create cultures and you know, the political culture that you're seeing in America. Um, that, wasn't, that didn't just appear overnight. That's been yeah. a long time coming. Um, erosion in kind of shared values and social morals. We talk about um, another maxim of politics is politics is downstream from culture. So there's a lot going on in culture um, uh, with social media and kind of the undermining of civility that, that politics just reflects. Um, and so the question is: How do you get back upstream? Here's the culture that you're in. How do you transform that? How do you um, uh, go about the business of developing a context in which we can have normal political conversations Absolutely. again? How do how do we do that? Think, it's
1: emotion, everything is emotional. Like, yeah, yeah. as I said, it's not about the idea yeah. anymore. But um, what's in fact, you said you can run for governor. You can run for whatever. Yeah. Can, um, but not me personally. I no mean, thanks. no, <laughs> I can. You know. Yeah. But it's like, yeah, there's there's people that are. I'm saying I understand that. Pe- yes. That that you can that that you want to use Twitter that you want to put political stuff out there because I I understand especially as a college student. Let's take us for example. We're busy with sports, with classes, yeah. with all that stuff, with life in general. Like shouldn't be like do we really need to read newspapers read books uh, do a podcast to actually get informed (laughs) um, about what's happening you know like that's or maybe you say yeah just go and run for for governor or something maybe that's not your purpose, and that, that's not what you want to do. You, but you still should have a chance to actually change something in politics, yeah. right? Yeah, And there
2: are a lot of ways to get engaged. Okay. You don't have to run for office to okay. get engaged. You can, if if your local school board is meeting and you're a parent and you're concerned about education, you go down and you 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 know you get to know your school board member. There, that's one of the great things about um, the American system is there are so many avenues of access into our political system. And uh, I think people lose sight of the fact that there are all these means by which you can affect and have influence on the process, and yet are, it's like the eye of Sauron always turns to the, the mm-hmm. national level. And the idea that—and, you know, I've, I've been in politics and teaching for 30-plus years, and frankly, I don't have any influence in what goes on. In mm-hmm. national politics, yeah, particularly, yeah, if, uh, and, and if you're not if you don't have
1: the influence, yeah, you know like, but, that's your life. But, you know, but, but my saying. my focus is skewed
2: to think that my, somebody in Congress can fix. The pothole in front of my street, or can, sure. can fix the culture in my small community. We're, we're really distorted in terms of, and I think your generation actually gets it in terms of the importance of community and localism, and how do we rebuild that, and how do we use politics. Um how does your generation of politicians make the space for community and localism and and t- begin to wean the focus back to where it should be? I
0: think a lot of people do get that in our generation. I yeah. think they they realize how important it is, yet they don't act on it. So like, well, they don't know how to. Exactly. That's, yeah. And that's going to be my question. So yeah. like what do you think could be some measurements? that could be taken to get young people our generation more engaged in politics okay. get, them, get them more active because I feel like a lot of people just so we do so what I mean is we do know of the importance of localism and our community right. but a lot of people just don't bother to get active how do you people get active?
2: Okay. Um,
0: uh, what would be some ideas? I don't know, that, that what do you think? Really what would get your, your generation to that, get engaged? that's a good question it's, I, it's here, here, let something. me just say one thing mm-hmm.
2: um, I think this is one of the challenges specific to your generation. I think it's one thing that your generation is being called to. How do we move mm-hmm. the focus from the national level to point, yeah. to a responsive government at a, at a closer level that really can do good for our lives? How do we do that? Um, I can point you to people who've gone before, I can give you ideas, I can encourage you, I can pray for you, but the bottom line is I can't hear for your generation in terms of how you know how to make this work um, other than to say, um, turn Do the it. focus close, <laughs> um, I will help you. Yeah. If I can give you examples, there are lots of examples from the Reagan administration of turning politics from the national level to the local level um, and policy-wise and and rhetoric-wise. But I think that's a huge challenge for your generation. Personally, I
1: I feel that our generation needs to step back a little bit from populism, first of all, because I don't think that creates any good. Second, it is reading headlines. Yes. (laughs) Because I are reading Twitter posts and all that stuff. Or... I feel like that the way we deal with um, information is not healthy because I I you can you can see it in the news you can see it on on social media the, the look at the news like the newspapers they actually have problems the the, the printed newspapers are dying yeah, everywhere, it's not only in Germany yeah, they're because gone. like everything is on apps it is like all right I want to mm-hmm. get as much information in a, just so short of a period of a time yeah. so if you look at news there's how much you can represent your ideas in what 20 20 seconds yeah. 15 seconds and that's like obviously you're not gonna get it out of 15 seconds obviously you're not gonna get that whole complex thing out of um, a headline right. or, a, or a Twitter yeah. post so I, I feel like that's really the key to get back to how is our generation Dealing with information in general, yeah.
2: yeah, and and I teach a class on politics, media, and technology. And um, one of the things that that I help encourage students to do is um, follow a, a a group of news aggregators that present both sides of issues and don't just take it from yeah. Google News or whatever or just Yahoo. A tiny news. fraction. Yeah, but do. go go to a couple of good news aggregators that give you both sides. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So you you feel at least like you can wade through some of these issues. Real Clear Politics is a great example. They have an international page, they have a political page, they just have a news page. And basically what they do is they take the best content, both left and right, on different issues and aggregate it or bring it together. And that's what social media doesn't do. It just gives you kind of that echo chamber, kind of what you already agree with.
0: Right, but it's sort of the nature of of social media. They need to use headlines like that. It's almost like, and now it's just... So that's what Tra- transfer called, it to really the news really. and to politics. To the you sort of need For these bait. clickbait headlines. Yeah. Exactly yeah. Where, where it started with YouTube. That you need some outrageous headline yeah. that makes people want to click your ad. Yeah. So I think that's only like that's the consequence of how the media yeah. is set up right now, of social media and like these really short clip uh, news information. So if you get thirty seconds, of course you're going to report about the three most outrageous point. Yeah. If you get to three, if you only could get the three, you you're probably going to yeah. mention one, and it's going to be outrageous, and people yeah. going to hear about it and take it out of context. And so, then pass along to somebody else. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think this is kind of also where the emotional part oh, comes Oh, absolutely. From, that yeah, they yeah, take yeah. outrageous uh, headlines yeah. and just take them completely out of context yeah. and and just make a huge deal yeah. out of it.
2: Yeah. I would say, though, eventually there's like this crisis fear exhaustion that settles in how many times you turn on the news and this is a crisis and this is a crisis and this is something gate and something gate you kind of yeah. like you just yeah, definitely. Tune another
0: interesting thing that i have heard about that uh, over the past 50 years the crime rates have down so dramatically like yeah. we're so much safer today yet it's so disproportionate how much you hear about it in the news. Right, the ribbon reading. Exactly. Yeah. It's because yeah. that clickbait. If we, yeah. if we just think about the terrorism and terror, that that it's inc-
1: I, I was looking up something like also for that. I I read a very good book by Hans Buddhist called Society of Fear. Yes. Um, where he back, uh, he's a German, I think. So. Sh-
2: uh, I've heard the name I haven't read the yeah, book but it's Yeah, a, it's a very good book. it's like yeah. a
1: short book you, you read it in two three sessions it's it's really good and he actually talks about that we as humans are so afraid of so many things that are not really yeah. actually dangerous yeah. um, and I would say the best example in, in, in America would be probably would be terror uh, that, that there's a constant fear I mean especially after 9-11 that there's a constant fear of ISIS of I Don't know people that come here and destroy something and kill people, even though this is not really happening, like, there's no re- like, there was not a, a major terroristic attack after 9 11 in, in no, America, like, no, you no, know, no, no. and and there's still that constant fear. I mean, I, I, I read something where it says, All right, I think about 50% of the people they are still afraid that something's going to happen, even though there was that it didn't happen yeah, the odds it, of it happen are, are I think. I think miniscule the, 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 yeah. if you look okay. at the actual deaths from terrorism it's 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 insane and yet the government is still prioritizing it so much they still spend so much money in it they still think it's such a big deal even though it it isn't. Yeah. What? Well, how would again, you respond to that? Fear? It's polarizing again. Yeah. Like yeah, it, it's it's, it's yeah.
0: easy to appeal to the people's uh, emotions using mm-hmm. such yeah. a heartfelt subject. Yeah. You know? The the other thing I will say though is,
2: so. um, uh, I have kids in the military and who um, are all about um, you know defending against ISIS and their friends are and people that have been sent off um, overseas. My my kids don't do that, but one of the reasons that America hasn't had more attacks is because of the money being spent on anti-terrorist mm-hmm. um, measures. That said, um, Theo, if you look at the numbers of people post 9-11, we were very afraid of terror, then we... what's kind of got to a new normal go okay we're not afraid and then we see a terror attack somewhere else and it goes boom then we kind of go like oh we're all right and so you see it's kind of episodic but but human nature being what it is it's something we can't control Mm -hmm. um it seems very random and when we see the news it feels real so that that and i think there is an element of because
1: there's not going to be any news that that say all right this amount of people died from car accident. Yeah. Because no one wants to hear that.
2: Or, you know, in Phoenix today, everything was great. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> and so I mean, so it, it kind of I would chicken watch egg. That so, I would watch yeah, that. it's kind of chicken egg in terms of um, what sells news is what exacerbates fear. And it's really what we, we want, but we don't want. Mm-hmm. And so that's a problem inherent in mm-hmm. Aaron and media more
0: generally. Yeah. But, so. We touched on it briefly before on that topic, and yeah. I think it's really interesting from your point of view. What do you think is the greatest challenge for our generation? Um, that's yeah. <laughs> all right. This, is, this might sound a
2: little crazy, but demographics.
1: What do you mean? So? In
2: terms of um, uh, just the the shrinking populations of uh, both in Western Europe and in the United States, in terms of. Um, delaying having children, um, delaying starting rates. families, lower birth rates, non um, uh, non uh, birth rates that won't uh, reproduce population. Um, what do you population. think is a problem with that? Um, what you're going to see is a, a large older generation um, with no younger ones um, coming behind. That's part of it. An economic issue you are seeing yeah. already in Europe yeah. in terms of yep. how do we keep our economy going if we don't have citizens. How for the people that yeah. don't work? Of course, yeah. my view is, well, cut back welfare programs mm. and let people pay for themselves. Mm. Um, but the flip side of that is um, you talk about issues of human flourishing and the American Dream and um, what what brings lasting happiness? Um, and I saw a study of your generation maybe two or three weeks ago that asked you what you wanted most out of life, and you said family and relationship. That's what brings you the most happiness, and yet that's the thing that your generation is delaying or not engaging in at all. Not having children, not okay, having families, think- not building the structures yeah. that that and that's just. I think that's one thing, and then obviously the, the lack of appreciation for liberty, but I think in terms of your lives over, okay. um, you know, in terms of delaying getting married and having children, the longer you wait, the smaller the families, if you have any families at all, um, what does that look like for your generation when you're older and, and need somebody to help take care of you, and just holidays, and just... Quality of life. I'm a big advocate of family and children, and mm-hmm. and the way God structured human beings to um, experience family and relationships. Yeah, I don't want to open too big of a new topic yeah, that's here, I mean. but
0: but um, so I think a lot of like we still hold these values dearly. I think everybody, or at least really yeah. the vast majority yeah. of people, want to start a family and, and want to experience that. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's just just due to. The state of our current economy, it's yeah. it's a lot harder for people yeah. to start it earlier, and so people naturally wait longer until they yeah. are more until they yeah. able to better self. Yeah, I, I, I would them. say yeah, it's it's yeah. Like you, have get, you have
1: to get you have to go to college for longer. You start yeah. yep. working um at at a at a later stage of life. Like you want to also because you want to provide for your family. Yeah. You just want to start yeah. a family yeah. and not like, give your kid yeah. an opportunity. Like, but also is that that the role of men and women just changed. I would say. Yeah, I mean, today yeah. it's just not like, all right, the 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 woman basically takes care of the kids, and and the men go out and work. You know, I feel like that's that's also a part of why we don't have these. Kind of like conservative family approaches anymore because yeah. just the role of the the different yeah. gender just yeah. changed, right? Yeah, and I
2: think that's a and um, we've talked about that in class and mm. and the and how how much it's usually because your generation says they do value what that brings, the benefits of it, and yet um, reluctance or going at that goal more slowly. Um, there's obviously no fault divorce. There are all kinds of issues that come into play, mm-hmm. um, but I, I just look at your generation. And go. What What do you guys look like when you're my age? Um, and mm-hmm. and I think you're you're just going to have to kind of wrestle through that um, politically. Um, you know, going back to the idea of, of liberty and what does that look like your, for your generation long term?
0: Yeah, yeah. even is interesting for sure. Um, so then, one, and I think this might be our last question already, okay. so, and only if you feel comfortable sharing, but okay. what do you think is one of, what was one of the biggest hardships you faced in your life and that played a key role in how you developed as a person and yeah. how did you overcome it? What would be yeah. some advice you, to, you yeah. just got out of that a- and, and share? And
2: I've talked about this publicly and, um it's not really a failure. Um, When I was in college at um, Arizona State University, um, and this is very personal, but I've talked about it publicly, I've written Mm -hmm. about it, Um, I was a victim of um, basically party rape or acquaintance rape, date Mm -hmm. rape. And so um, that was before I was a Christian. Um, So I'm a sexual abuse survivor. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm not alone in that. There are a lot Mm -hmm. of women who um, have faced a similar thing or are dealing with the same thing. Mm-hmm. And so um, the consequences have been very great um, in terms of affecting family and marriage and all of that. Mm-hmm. But the flip side of that is um, I've gotten healing. Um, I can mentor young women who mm-hmm. experience the same thing. Yeah. Um, there is healing. Um, there's healing short of coming to christ but certainly in that context um that's where my healing came in terms of a personal relationship with um jesus christ and then my faith um and knowing that even though it felt like i was alone and abandoned by god um as my faith has developed he has shown me that he grieved Right along with me, and there's a place for healing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I know in this setting, I've reached out and I'm I've see. been able to talk to a I lot think, of women. I think
1: this is a very in, like a very hot topic right now. Yeah, since we kind of experienced a similar thing in that Kavanaugh hearing, yeah. you probably yeah. know yes. what I'm saying. Yes. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's really
0: in the media right now. Yeah, it's just a re- really in the media
1: that women are actually afraid to speak up. Yes, and, and talk about those experiences. And, and you also like it's super difficult because yeah, you yeah. it's you there because there it's a fine line yes. you know what I'm yeah. saying because I mean there's there's people that lie about
0: it but then there's people that who actually suffered from that yes. you know right? yeah, yeah. And so and you don't just want to put them all yeah. in one box yeah. you, you just yeah. can't because yeah. it's definitely like both have happened definitely yeah. and mm-hmm. it's and, terrible to just yeah. be too biased towards
2: yeah. either side mm-hmm. yeah and the, the way I look at it because um we watched the Kavanaugh hearings and mm-hmm. watched kind of the unfold. And one of the the positive things is it brought it up into the fore, where people are discussing it. Mm-hmm. One of the negative things is just what you said: yeah. is that women's words are doubted. Yeah. And so, my advice to a woman who knows this has happened to her. Mm-hmm is um take ownership of your story mm-hmm. find a safe place to discuss it i can tell you that a senate confirmation hearing is not a safe place <laughs> to roll that out um and just be be careful of that but there is real substantive healing for people who've experienced this and that's my message of hope to young women i raised five daughters my husband and i have three sons and five daughters mm-hmm. and um to be able to 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 um walk alongside them this culture is not easy for men or women in terms of sexual morality yeah. and what right. you do um, in these contexts so i guess i would you know i could have i could share something else with you but i really feel that in this culture your generation especially it's so sexualized mm-hmm. that just Incredible. to know find yeah. somebody to talk to somebody you trust um, that you can begin to unpack your story and that's the first step to Was healing. there
1: was there a key moment or a key action that happened which which and and you had the ability to speak openly about it. you said you talked yeah. about that publicly yeah. what made you pop, what what made you take that decision to talk about that publicly because that's a huge step i it I, is. I, I can't yeah. imagine that like, yeah. i'm not in your situation yeah. Yeah. and that but like what made you speak up what what, yeah. what is is there a key moment or yep. a key yep. thought or yep. what made you do that Yeah. well i went through a healing process I really didn't
2: deal with it till I was about 40 cuz it was just hard, it was yeah. really hard. And so at that point, um, it just uh, walking along with my husband, kind of talking through it, that's when I actually got counseling to mm-hmm. walk through this. Because it's, you know, it's trauma, it's something that um, really helps to have a professional deal with you on. And I reached the point where I was comfortable enough and healed enough that, um, that I knew, first of all, stepping out and sharing my story was an act of healing that I knew that would come. But secondly... having that
1: mindset. Yeah, but
2: secondly, um, I was uh, back in the college setting. I had five daughters. And what motivated me was if I share my story and help any young woman either avoid it, Mm -hmm. not be in the same situation Mm -hmm. I was in, or get help knowing that there is help, um, then it's worth it for me to share it. And that's why I share it. Because... I don't want any woman um, to have to carry that burden alone or not get the freedom that I have experienced after it.
0: So, looking back at your healing process, is there anything you wish you would have known back then? Yes. You you wish you would have known earlier or you wish you would have done earlier? Yeah, I
2: wish I would have told somebody sooner. Yeah. Mm I was in my 40s and it happened when I was 21, Mm -hmm. even a little earlier. Yeah, I wish I had had somebody
1: that, uh, that I knew that it was yeah. okay to tell somebody about that, that period like 20 year period I mean how is that especially you said you're in this generation you're confronted with sexual content all the time yeah. like I mean how was how that period like that that 20 year period where you didn't talk to anyone about it or yeah. only a few people like what are the what are the, the actions that you take yeah. to Take care of yourself to not think about it anymore, <laughs> like because obviously that's like human. Yeah. If, if something yeah. terrible happens yeah. to me, I, I I do anything, um, in order not to think about it yeah. anymore. Like what's yeah, How was that? Well,
2: that was the first phase, really, and, yeah. and if you study, and when I went back to school to get my doctorate, um, I did quite a bit of research into what's called the red zone. It's like the first um, six weeks of college is when um, most of these attacks occur um, outside the, the boundaries of the home and alone for the first time. And so a lot. So I did a lot of research, um, and by that point, I was in my 40s. But up to that point, um, we were having a family. We were, you know, experiencing joy. And I was, um, yeah, I was, I was, I mm-hmm. was um, kind of dealing with it that way. My husband has been really, really supportive. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We we both went through some some counseling together in terms mm-hmm. of how to right. heal our relationship. Right. Um, but it got to the point where we went, okay, let's let's deal with this in a serious way and, and get healed. Mm-hmm. And just I would encourage women. Um, it's, it's fear inducing, it's a very, I would say it's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life, mm-hmm. um, including raising eight kids and going back, I mean, <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was difficult, yeah. but it's the most freeing thing I've ever done yeah. and the most beneficial thing I've ever done.
0: Is so, there any yeah. advice you could possibly have for, for young women that might not have that form of social support? Is there anything you could tell them?
2: Yeah, if if you are if you're if you're feeling an affinity to a professor or a pastor or somebody older that you trust, um, engage. Start raising that question. And yeah. lots of times in class, I'll have, for example, after the Kavanaugh hearings, I had a couple yeah. of female students come and talk to me after, yeah. and and so I just felt like it was essential yeah. to raise it and let them know there there's healing and. Um, nobody gets through um, this life unscathed. I mean, sin no. done to you yeah. and against you and it's just, it's it's a hard culture to come through and so, you know. Yeah, no, it's amazing
0: to hear how you've overcome it though and I think yeah. it's really important and crucial for a lot of young women to hear that yeah. nowadays. Yeah. yeah. I think they can just yeah, take and and the that. thing is too
2: is um, Theo, you've had me in class, so you would you know if I didn't share it, you'd probably never know. oh not you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so to to let women know, young women know, um, you get through it, you can heal through it. Um, take whatever precautions you can, so it doesn't happen. Mm-hmm um and then but if it does you know find somebody to talk to find some help there's all kinds of resources and the other thing just from a purely spiritual perspective is it's it's an obstacle um or was an obstacle finally i think what what got me into really seriously dealing with it is was an obstacle in my faith i couldn't have um the, the the type of relationship with God that I wanted to have was it, it interrupted intimacy with God in my yeah. spiritual life and so that was a huge motivator for me in terms of um, you know I'd approach God and go boom and that's not what God has for any of us yeah. whether it's this area of sin or some other area of wounding um, and we all we all have it. At, at some or another, some type of wounding in our lives that God wants to deal with, because mm-hmm. He loves us. Yeah, <laughs> in His great. mercy, He didn't well, want me to carry it as long as I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. but His timing is perfect.
0: Yeah, I, think, uh, uh, I feel like that's the that's a good point to wrap up. Uh, okay. uh, I think okay. we could go on here for hours and hours. Oh, and yeah. hours. Yeah. this has been really interesting. But, just, but that's yeah, um, thanks for, welcome. just that's fantastic. You're welcome. Been you're welcome. Thanks for coming. Yeah.